Good morning. I want to give a special shout out to Bobby Bransford. Bobby, are you back there, buddy? So Bobby is 87 years old today. And uh, I know he remembers that Bobby was the first person I ever met at City Church. My wife and I came to visit in, very, in a very clandestine way on a Wednesday evening, and we met Bobby. So Bobby, happy birthday to you. And Joyce, I see you standing next to him. Same to you. Happy birthday to you too. How does that sound? Let's give Bobby a hand. Amen. God bless you, buddy. This morning's sermon is part of the sermon series entitled, Change. This morning's title specifically is, Change, Sailing with Jesus Through the Storms. Now, as I've said every week when we talk about change biblically, some change is seismic and some is subtle. Some happen to be both. I have found in life spiritually, most spiritual change after conversion is more subtle. But what I do know is, as we're in this sermon series entitled Change, that fall is a season of change. Fall reminds us that life has its cycles, and whether we like it or not, change is coming. As I thought about change this week, and I met with the team that helps me to prepare my sermons, and my son and I always bounce our sermons off of each other, he referenced the president of Princeton Theological Seminary where he was talking about change recently, and here's what doctor said. Dr. Barnes said this, people prefer the misery of what they know compared to the mystery they don't. Let me read that again. People prefer the misery they know compared to the mystery that they don't. I was raised in a home where change was articulated this way. You probably know it. When the pain of staying the same gets greater than the pain of change, we tend to change. Why is it that change always has to do with pain? Why is that? Well, change can be good. I actually am wired such that I love change. I love it. It excites me. Sometimes changes are better than others. One of the changes that thrills my soul is that we beat Florida State last night in football. What a change it is. For 21 years, I have fasted and prayed for a winning UVA football team. And lo and behold, look where we are now. If we were to look in Scripture, though, we would discover quickly that change involves some things. It involves faith. It involves trust. And oftentimes, fear. What you will discover biblically is that oftentimes when change really hits someone and it's permanent and it's spiritual and it's deep and it's got a long trajectory... It's because someone has gone through what is called a trial or a storm. 
I have found in my own life that trials produce change. I don't like them, and yet God's Scripture promises we will have them. When a trial gets to a certain level, we will call it a storm. And there's a reason for this. I want to focus on storms in the Bible this morning. And again, the sermon is entitled, Sailing with Jesus Through the Storms. We're going to read now from Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 35, and I encourage you to get out your Bible and to read along with me. I think it's important that you read the text. It will be up on the screen as well. But where we're getting ready to read is found in three of the Gospels. It's kind of that authoritative stamp of the importance of the story we're getting ready to read. Three of the four Gospel writers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit have included this story, but each one has unique variances. I will mention that more as we move more deeply into this sermon. Here's what Mark 4, 35 through 41 tells us. It says this. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat, reason why he had been teaching from the boat. There were also other boats with him, so there's a flotilla moving across the Sea of Galilee, and it says, a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this that even the winds and the wave obey him? Here we have a storm. I think for you and for me, the difference between a trial and a storm in life probably has a lot to do with the level of our fear. Now, I know as I begin to talk about fear very briefly that my wife would encourage me to share with you the title of a book that had a huge impact on her life. It's a book entitled The Gift of Fear by Gavin De Becker. Here's why. All fear is not bad. Some fear is actually healthy. And if you were to get this book and read it, and I would encourage you to do it, it's by a violent crimes investigator where he talks about how often people had something in them that was spiking in fear, and they suppressed that and pushed it to the side and became a victim. So he goes through many scenarios where people have done that. So all that to say that fear is not always bad. God gives it to us in the form of discernment. But then again, other times, biblically, when it comes to changing spiritually, to growing spiritually, fear is a component that we deal with. Now, for those of us who like to go deeper biblically, I want to give you a quick context to this story. And it's quite stunning. The story that we find in all three of the Gospels of Jesus calming the storm maps over the first chapter of the book of Jonah. The similarities are shocking. Let me give you a few. 
the key character gets into a boat, that would be Jonah, and in the Newer Testament, Jesus. A storm arises that threatens the life of everyone on board. Everyone in the boat is panic-stricken except for the key character. They need to be woken up from a deep sleep. Not only this, those on board question the key character about the bringing up of perishing as well as why is the storm so violent. And then because of what the key character does, there's a calming of the storm. And both stories end with the people on the boat responding to God out of faith. Again, if you like biblical studies, I'd encourage you to take a look at the story of Jonah in the Older Testament and compare it to this story. Not only this, as we think about the context of the story, Jesus was aware of Jonah and Nineveh. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 41, here's what Jesus says. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. You see, the story of Jonah is an incredible one. Jonah was called by God to go preach to the Ninevites. But since historically they were Israel's enemies, he had a racist view of them. He hated the Ninevites. And when God called him to go preach that they would repent and God could bring blessing instead of judgment, Jonah made the decision that he would go to Tarshish, which was in the opposite direction. So he gets in the boat full of a racist, bigoted heart against the Ninevites. He would rather that they all come under God's judgment. He heads in one direction, but God knows. God knows. And in the midst of him traveling away from God's calling on his life, the sea becomes tumultuous, and the sea gets so violent that these seaworthy men realize there's something more to this storm than just a natural storm. So out of kind of selecting lots, they figure out it's Jonah, and he had confessed to them he was running from the call of God. And so the solution was simple. Throw Jonah overboard. How many of you in the storms of life have a few people that you would love to throw overboard? He's thrown overboard. The sea instantly goes calm, the crewmen on board make a sacrifice to Jonah's God, and a fish swallows him whole and then spits him up on the beach of Nineveh. Jesus was aware of that story, and he referenced it in all of the Gospels. The question is, though, what is the symptom of a storm? I know, just praying about this morning and the sheer numbers of people that are here, that we have people in the midst of a storm. And the goal is, is that if you're in one or you look back on one, that you would have changed spiritually in the midst of it. So the symptoms of a storm could be fear and anxiety. Another thing could be huge mood swings. We see that in all of these stories of storms in the Bible where people have these dramatic mood string swings in their emotions. The other thing that we would notice is self-talk. Incessant questioning of the person's own ability and worth 
and the relational connectivity of those that are around them. But I think the last question, the last symptom of a storm is the most important. And we see it in verse 38 of what we read earlier, and you probably would remember that the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him this question, teacher, don't you care if we drown? You see, the ultimate sign of a storm is when we begin to ask God, do you honestly love me? God, do you really care? Jesus was asleep in the boat, and the disciples went and shook him and woke him up and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? So the question often is, does God really love me? Does God really care? You know what's fascinating to me is that when I was raised in the church, it was always faith versus fear, faith versus fear, always. But what's stunning to me is that when you read the most pivotal verse on fear, it doesn't talk about faith versus fear. It's found in 1 John 4.18. Here's what it says. Perfect love drives out fear. It's not faith that drives out fear. It's perfect love. And that's ultimately what the disciples are asking Jesus. Do you really love us? Jesus, we're in a storm. Do you even care if we drown? We thought you loved us. More on that as we move more deeply into this sermon. What we find in all three gospel accounts is Jesus awakens from his sleep and the gospels tell us that he rebukes the wind in the waves. I like Luke's version the best. Luke chapter 8 verses 24 through 25 tell us this, that Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters and the storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. Now, the first few times I read this in preparation for this sermon, it was more of, where is it? Can't you find it? Is it in your back pocket? Is it in your shoe? Where is it? Where it? And what I discerned was, that's not what Jesus meant. He meant this. Where have you placed your faith? What are you trusting in? What are you resting on? What are you relying on? And you see in the world in which we live, storms have a way of changing people here in Charlottesville spiritually, and I will tell you why. Many people in Charlottesville, maybe many of us who are looking over the wall at faith and saying, will I follow Jesus? Maybe I should follow him. And maybe even some of us who follow Jesus, we put our faith, hang on now, in ourselves. We do. Here's why. We have to be in control. We have to. And if at any moment of any day we feel like the control is slipping, we can feel the emotions begin to move. We feel it. And if I could be so spiritual to say the spirit over Charlottesville, that entity that kind of drives our city, announces to everyone self-reliance. 
trust yourself. Work harder. But here's what I've seen for the 21 years that I pastored in Charlottesville, that when people hit a storm, where they've put their faith, hope, and trust has been in control. The ability to control. And when that begins to break down, suddenly there's an opportunity for change spiritually. Truth of it is, it's the same for many of us who are believers. We are truly into control. We like to control everything. But what's fascinating is, and this phrase has kept going through my heart as I prep this sermon, storms puncture the illusion that we are in ultimate and complete control of our lives. I want to say that again. Storms puncture the illusion that we are in ultimate and complete control of our lives. How many people, men and women, have come to faith because of a storm, and as they felt like the control was fleeting, oftentimes, though, it begins with anger at God. But then in surrender, there's an understanding of the love of God. Here's what else I've found in my own life. You probably experienced it in yours. That if I go through a storm and I don't learn my lesson, there's another one coming because God loves me. So I'd put it this way. Repeated, similar, and familiar experiences when it comes to storms bring about spiritual change. Have you ever been in a context where you've been through a storm and the next time you're going through it, you say to yourself, I've been here before. This feels familiar. I sense it. I've been through many of those in my own life where in the middle of it, there was something in my spiritual discernment that said, you've been here before. What's incredible about the biblical story is that in Matthew and in Mark, there is one sailing with Jesus story. We just read it. And then a couple of chapters later, there's another one. Let's read the next one in Mark chapter 6. We just read from the end of Mark 4, now we're reading another one in Mark chapter 6. And here's what the Scriptures tell us. It says in Mark 6, 45 and following, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they all saw him, were terrified. So would have you have been. If you're in the middle of the night and you think you're in the middle of the lake and someone comes walking by, you would freak out too. And immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I. Those three words we're going to come back to, it is I. Don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. 
and they were completely amazed. Why were they so amazed? Well, you can't really tell in English, but there are two things that happened. When Jesus said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Those Jewish men who were in the boat, who'd been straining at the oars for up to nine hours. Luke tells us it was the third watch of the night. Nine hours straining at the oars, and finally Jesus walks over to them. Well, here's what you may not know, but they would have as Jewish men. You see, they knew the book of Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah says this, 43, 1 through 3. But now this is what the Lord says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Then the famous verses, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And then verse 3, for what are the next two words? I am the Lord your God. For I am the Lord your God. Those two words are the famous words of the Older Testament by which God calls himself. When God approaches Moses, Moses looks at God and says, I'm willing to do what you're calling me to do. But he says to God, but you need to tell me, what is your name? When I go before the people of Israel and when I go before Pharaoh, who should I say is the God that is calling me to do this? And God's answer was this. Tell Pharaoh, tell the people, I am. Wow, that's it? Yep. Go up there and tell them, I am has sent you. Fascinating. There was one country preacher who put it this way. God looked at Moses and said, I be that I be. It's the idea of a self-sufficient God. I am. But you see, in the Newer Testament, as it is translated from Hebrew into Greek, it comes out this way. Ego imai. Ego in ancient Greek, that's the word I am. For those of you who are intellectuals, you're going to love this. It is the verb I am that is translated also to be, but it's in the first person singular present active indicative. I know you're going to remember that. <laughs> but it's this verb that basically says, I am. And believe it or not, in verse 50, that's what Jesus says. In verse 50, when they cry out to him, and when he steps into the boat, he says to them very clearly, take courage, I am. That's what he says. Take courage, I am. And they knew instantly that he was referencing the Psalms. He was referencing Moses. He was referencing this passage from the book of Isaiah where Jesus is announcing that he is the I am of the Older Testament, that he's God. 
He says, take courage. I am. Be strong. In the midst of the storm, they discover who Jesus truly is. And I would beg to argue that's the same with all of us. We don't really find out that Jesus is the I am until we hit a storm. And when we do, he becomes so real. So how do we put feet to our faith in the midst of this? How do we do this? Well, the question is, is that in the storms that you've been through, have there been any spiritual change in your life? I want us to literally take a moment, just a moment, and I'd like you to close your eyes in God's presence. Kind of close yourself in with the Lord and ask yourself the question, the storm you're in or the one that you've come out of, did we grow spiritually? Did we? Were we racked with fear? Or maybe we went through it once, and just like the disciples, they're now going through a similar storm again. And this time, there's a deeper revelation of who Jesus is. When you analyze your life spiritually, when we talk about spiritual change, there are signals that will help us. In the middle of the storm, were you as selfish as always? Or did you find that you were beginning to be a little less selfless? In other words, the storm that you had been before allows you now to have more empathy in the midst of this new one. You've been through a storm before, and in the midst of the storm, it was all greedy. Everything was about you, but now you're into, into that repeat storm, and you're finding yourself to be a little bit more generous than you've been before. And I know for me, here's the big one, anger. My full confession is anger is the thing that I've struggled with. So here I am in the midst of a storm again. Is the anger like it's always been? Or am I finding that in the midst of this, God's changing me in the midst of the storm and those flags, those signals of what's going on spiritually in my life? Is the anger in a better place than it's been? You can open up your eyes now, but I want you to remember what the Lord put in your heart. And since I know this is a difficult sermon and it's a challenging one, I want to tell you my sailing story. Here's my story. A friend of mine who's sitting in the auditorium taught me how to sail. I won't tell you his name, but his name's Peter Sorensen. <laughs> so he taught me how to sail. We vacationed together and he took me out in this boat called the Sunfish. That should be your first warning. A sunfish is the smallest fish. Any smaller, it's a minnow. So he took me out and he taught me how to sail and he left and there was just kind of a mild wind and so I'm all excited and I went out in the sunfish again. So I'm sailing and things are going great because the wind is behind me. And I tried to remember how to turn the thing around and how to tack into the wind. That didn't go so well. But I made it back, only capsizing five times. 
And the reason why I quit sailing was I was utterly exhausted. But I took the boat back in and I rented it the next day. And then I twisted my son Peter's arm into going sailing with me. I explained how fun it was, how skilled I was, and how amazing I was at sailing. Have you ever seen the movie, What About Bob? That should have been me. I should have been tethered to the front of the boat instead of sailing it. So I got my son in the boat. We went out sailing. But this day, the wind was a little stronger. We're cruising along. I said, Peter, aren't you having a blast? He said, Dad, you don't have a clue what you're doing, do you? <laughs> We're humming along. I went to turn to tack into the wind. We flipped over. As both of us are hanging on either side of the capsized sunfish, we're looking at each other. He goes, Dad, you really don't know what you're doing, are you? I said, look, Peter, if you'll swim around and get on this side of the boat, we're going to grab the keel, we're going to grab it, we're going to lean back together, we're going to put the thing upright. So he helped me and we did it together and it flipped all the way over and capsized the other way. Now we find ourselves on the same side of the boat, hanging on, looking at each other. And he said, Dad, you're pathetic. You honestly don't know what you're doing. I said, look, let's do it. So we did it again. We got it up again. I think I sailed about 50 yards, turned back into the wind and capsized. And then there we are, the boat's straight down. I'm looking over the hull, waiting for Peter. And I look up, and he's swimming to shore, <laughs> literally swimming away. True story. Like, wow, thanks, dude. He's literally swimming away. And then what I discovered was my wife and many of her friends had been observing this from the beach. And she said, you could have killed your son. Moms, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Men, how many of you will please be in my camp? I wasn't trying to kill my son. I was trying to have a male bonding moment. The bond was pretty weak. It didn't last long. You see, that's my sailing story. By the way, my son and I spoke about this this morning, and he said, Dad, the story's way worse than you're telling it. It was horrible. I found out that my wife had had visions of jet skis running over my son's head as he was swimming back to shore, something that men never think about. But here's what I can tell you. My son and I will never sail together again, ever. <laughs> Believe me, we won't. But you see what's amazing to me is that the Apostle Peter had been in the boat twice, the first time and the second time. But only the Gospel of Matthew tells us what he does. In the Gospel of Matthew, the other two Gospels ends with Jesus getting in the boat but this time, Matthew adds what happens next. Matthew 14, 28 through 33. Let's read. Remember, Jesus is walking by the boat, and Peter kicks into gear. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. He remembers the first time that Jesus said, I am I'm the God of the Older Testament. That's the God that calms the storm. That's the God that literally, it says in the Older Testament, walks across the waters. So Peter, remembering this, 
He's changed. His faith has grown. He's in the same context again. And so he says to Jesus, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. And then Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of how much faith? Aha, there is some. In the first one, he asked the question, where is your faith? You don't have any. This time, you've got a little bit. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? In other words, you could have kept walking. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the I am. You are the Son of God. You see, Peter stepped out of the boat. I love it. Now, many of us would sit here and go, yeah, but he sank, but yeah, but he walked. He walked. He remembered the first storm. He's in the second storm. And this time, notice, he makes the request. I love it. He says, Jesus, I want to play too. I want to grow through the storm. I want to go deeper with you. And Jesus grants his request. When I look at this story, I think about how it must have felt for Jesus to watch Peter begin to sink. Peter, you were doing so well. And I was thinking about the emotional context of that. And I thought about UVA last night in the football game in the last 30 seconds as they gave away 55 yards of penalties to the other team. And I'm sitting there going, ah, what are are you doing? And then in the last play, mere seconds left, we win. Here's what I would tell you. I don't think Peter lost anything in this. Peter had walked on the water. He had grown through the storm. He was growing through the second one. And Peter is changing spiritually. Here's what I would say. The storms of life teach us about us. And they give us the room to grow and to change. They give us the opportunity to put our faith and trust and hope more deeply in the God whose name is I Am and His name is also Jesus. Truth be told, for most of us, without storms, we would never change spiritually. But here God comes. And he shows us in Scripture how repeated storms, similar contexts, bring deep spiritual change. Would you stand with me? As we stand together, the worship team is going to lead us in prayer. I should say they're going to lead us in worship. But we've begun to do something at City following the sermon, and it's this, that we worship through the worship song a couple of times. But then there's sort of a lull in the singing. Stephen will coach you into that. And when there's a lull in the singing, there's going to be an opportunity for you to pray while you worship. There's going to be an opportunity for you in the midst of worship to pray 
about the spiritual change of your life. Could it be that we have people that are just like Peter, who you're in a storm, and you would in the midst of the storm say, Jesus, my faith is growing. I'm changing spiritually in the midst of the storm. Would you call me to yourself more deeply? For others of us, though, as Stephen leads us in worship and the opportunity comes to pray, we're going to deal with what the Holy Spirit showed us earlier in the sermon, where maybe you've got anger, maybe you've got greed and selfishness, that you came through that last storm, and when you look at it in the rearview mirror, you recognize that there are glaring things in the storm that you were made aware of. And for many of us, it'll be control. That we need to learn by faith to give up control of our lives and surrender it to Jesus.